You are about to listen to the second episode of Madhu Einsiedler's Improvisations on Growth podcast series with a focus on survival and what does this mean in our current times. Many years ago, survival meant mainly food and shelter. Do you see how these needs have changed and how survival now means the latest car, the big house, the highest rank in a company? Is our current system fostering an environment where people can create freely or is it solely targeting performance and profit? It seems like we are still under the impression that we can either focus on performance or on creativity. Why not focus on both and prioritize out-of-the-box thinking over profits? Listen to this episode and explore these questions further with us. I want us to take a, a step back in the sense of uh, not relating to the special situation of Corona because of something you you just said about this uh, business person and, and what triggers him. So this is what's interesting to me, that compared to thousands of years ago where our triggers were literally seeing a huge bear in front of you and knowing you can get seriously injured or even die, or knowing that it's a harsh winter and you're going to starve, and our current times, the triggers are of total different nature. So this is what I'm trying to, to understand. If these triggers have changed so much, how come our reactions are still the same? Which I understand they're part of us, but we can rise above them, so to speak. So in the in this case with the, the, the business person, his triggers are in the way I see them unfounded, but that's just me. They have no foundation. So what is it that we can do? What, how can someone tell him? How can we retrain our brains to identify what actually scares us today and that maybe there is no fear there? First, you need to be able to realize what's happening. And then, of, of course, he was a friend, so I, I was not in my professional role, and he didn't ask me, and there was no desire to change. From his side, there was no desire to change his behavior. So if this anxiety was there, it, it definitely... I mean, and we tried to argue with him, but of course there is no arguing because if, if you if you think you're essentially threatened, then, then you feel this is to be true and you're not open to arguments. So if someone realizes what's happening and actually wants to work with it, then there are, yet, and I'm not talking about like anxiety as an illness, where you would need to go to therapy or in a clinic or whatever and and, and really have it uh, treated well. But like this day-to-day business, I'm feeling just so stressed and I'm anxious that I'm losing my job and, and all, all the the structures that corporations have in place are perfectly suited to keep the people in a survival mode. So 
if I have realized this, then a question is exactly what, what you posted as questions or what can I do? And I can, I can do a lot of things to balance myself in the sense of, oh, that's a worrying thought. Oh, I feel my stress level is rising again. Okay, I can focus away from the thought. I can focus on my breath. I can go quickly into nature for five minutes. I can call a friend. I can make myself tea. So I can have a lot of things that I can actually do to relax my nervous system. So at the end of the day, what it comes down to is I can, I can influence my nervous system so that it doesn't peak and push me into survival mode. This sounds still to me a little bit like treating the symptoms and not the cause. Because we were looking at the, at the system. So if this person in the 21st century is afraid and it goes in survival mode because of certain triggers, there has to be a context for that. Yeah. So the, the environment needs to change. So he wouldn't have those triggers and he wouldn't have to treat, so to speak, the, the symptoms. So I think we're going back to what we tend to look at the bigger picture in the sense of what is this environment and what is there a po even a possibility for change there? My thoughts on this are twofolded. I mean, very few organizations realize what they are doing. The structures that are in place in organizations, the goal is to not only make money, but to maximize the profit. And especially when, when corporations are uh, listed on, on the stock exchange, then that is their sole purpose. So they have no, no intention to change that because in this way they are getting they think they are getting the most out of people. Keeping them on but, their toes? Yeah, to keep them on their toes in, in the sense of, I tell you, you will survive if you do X. And then I put the pressure on and then people do X because this is what they have been told that they should be doing. The alternative would be, let's call it the creative mode but in a creative mode i'm in in my flow in my creativity i am balanced i'm not stressed you know but then i might not follow your order because i am following my own order and and so i'm following my own flow of how i do things and then and the result is not we think or corporations think that the result is not as controllable and planable. I think that there is a, like on the one hand, and we, and we were talking about innovation and, and what innovation and true innovation needs. And we actually didn't touch on that aspect. And it's good that you brought the connection so that we can 
um, and the topic so that we can touch upon this now. On the one hand, the, the structures of corporations are so tightly knitted and so connected to control and to a really narrow behavioral path that I can take and that I'm allowed to take. So, so, so the behavioral code is just really strict and narrow and, and the outcome is, is really tightly defined. And this narrow path and definition prohibits innovation per se, because when, when, when I have like this, this much room to maneuver and know exactly where I, where I need to land. It's more yeah. important to follow orders than to think outside the box. Exactly. Yeah. And, it, it, and, and yet at the same time, they are requesting innovation. And, and this, this is like double bind. Like we need to be. But innovative. do you think they are genuine? That's my take on it. Do you think it's genuine or is it just something that sounds nice because they know that innovation is still controlled by the higher ranks, no matter how you, in most cases, I'm not talking like everywhere. Yes, I think in their way of thinking, they are generally, genuinely think that what they're doing is the right thing. Yeah. And when, when they say, we care about employees, they genuinely think that what they're doing is caring about employees. Yes, I really... It's so funny because I was talking to a friend the other day and what, uh, what brand was it? Pandora, I think I was checking out. They had a sale and I, I logged in, I gave them my email address and of course they sent me an email back we love you, we this and that. And I'm like, there's such a disconnect. No, guys, you don't love me. <laughs> I'm a customer. You're trying to get my money. Why I'm saying this is because of your comment of we care for our employees. This we is so impersonal. If you think about it, who's we? If I'm asking you, looking at a corporate, who's we? Because they're all employees. They're all managers. Who's the we that cares for the employees. Yeah. I, I, I really think they just don't know better because they have not learned better. And, and a lot of people, even in the high ranks, they have probably never been outside the survival mode in their life. They just don't know how that feels. They still experience themselves as I'm having a good idea. I'm being really productive I'm really performant and, you know, and, and then they say, well, and I'm earning all this money and I'm bringing all this money in. So this is the proof that I am on the right track. There is, if, even if, if I, we would suggest, well, maybe you're under high stress and, and, and you're constantly on adrenaline and then, a lot of people out there are actually, um, as, as we say, adrenaline junkies. So they need this adrenaline to feel a sense of aliveness. So, so, so this is why they're also then keep themselves going and even in, in, in increasing the pressure on themselves. 
that the other alternative to be in the flow and in this what we call like the creative mode might even raise anxiety and make them feel uncomfortable be, be, because th that's nothing that they, they know. know. They, yeah, they have, they have never experienced it. I think for the corporate world, to a certain extent, it's perfect. It's, it's a perfect machine and that's what it is. It's a perfect machine and the people are the cogs and they are trained perfectly and, and they're being oiled with money and with, um, with roles and reputations and, 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 and I'm talking stereotypes now, of course. <laughs> um, that's how, how the machine is run. The other mode, we kind of push into the artsy, fluffy, maybe even esoterical, whatever. Yeah, they, they, they are allowed to be creative. It's very interesting how how art and creativity is still seems to be connected to to fluffy, weak, dreamy. It's not it's not taken seriously enough, in my opinion. And yet, if you if you just go in a city and you don't see nice buildings, which in my opinion has to do with art, you don't see a nice urban plan. You don't see art in a poster is just dead. But at the same time, oh, uh, an uh, art person, artistic person, oh, that's bohemian, it's, it's hippie. Why are we still doing this? I mean, I, I, I think as a, I'm, I'm, I'm trying something out. I, I, I was listening to, to Barack Obama, the last few days to, to he's now promoting his book and um, he starts his sentences with look <laughs> okay <laughs> I'm trying this out it kind of sounds weird to my German ear because or to my Austrian ear because if, if I would translate that and I would start a, a sentence with that word translated it would be rude but I'm, I'm i'm not sure obviously i think in english it's a perfect beginning of a statement so it I is it is a little strong if you ask me it is a little strong like look it maybe it depends on the tone it's almost like you gotta listen to me i'm right that is just how i listen to it okay because i do hear it the same way and and I was like, seriously, mm -hmm. I can 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 you say well? Obviously, you can say this, but maybe you can only say this once you are president. I don't know. Um, yeah, maybe maybe Barack Obama has the has earned the <laughs> the right to talk like that. I okay. <laughs> okay, let 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 me see if I can pronounce it in a way that's soft and nice and appreciative. Okay, <laughs> let's hear it. And now I forgot what I wanted to say. Um, yeah. So, look, I I think that as a whole humanity, we have, and and I'm totally generalizing now, obviously because it's I'm talking about the whole us humans, our humanity. I actually 
really think that we have, as a whole, not made the transition yet from survival mode into creativity. We have not. We, 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 I, I think we have created structures, processes, all based on those old survival mechanisms. And we have not realized that that's not how we realize our best potential. It, it's funny because what you're saying reminds me of um, some years ago, I, I took a couple of interviews, bigger companies, and one of the requirements they sent me, obviously online-based, at least 10 or 20 sheets of questions to determine my personality type and my behavior. And just by reading those questions of what you were saying earlier with like how I could see how much they narrow down the type of person that was required for that position. Uh, you know, the, the usual questions, if this happens, do you get upset or do you try to find solutions? And um, a lot of words, in my opinion. And it just felt so mechanic. Like, really, do you really think you can get to know me, the essence of me and the person that I, who I am, based on how I answer these questions? I mean, the variables are so out there. Even the fact that maybe I read the question a certain way and I don't answer truthfully without even realizing I don't answer truthfully, that could be from the start a huge, like, not accurate, something that's not accurate. So... I was surprised to see how much time like human resources put because someone had to, I mean, obviously it was done automatically, like the results and mind you, I wasn't picked. So they didn't like, no wonder. <laughs> I'm not surprised. I mean, not, not, I, I know that you're brilliant. Oh, geez. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm not, otherwise, you, you know. <laughs> yeah, but I wouldn't be talking to you on eye level. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> oh no, it's good. I mean, we we, we has we have established before that both of us are just <laughs> unique. <laughs> we are unique unicorns. <laughs> we need to do a podcast on self-esteem. <laughs> I think we're really strong on that. You have listened to the second episode of Madhu Einsiedler's Improvisations on Growth podcast series, which addresses survival and how we perceive it, or how we are still trained to perceive. Do you notice now how holding on to a basic need to survive can hinder creativity and innovation? Organizations still operate from a narrower system which restricts behavior and aims at shaping a certain type of high-performing professional to serve their clearly set goals. Do you agree? I encourage to share your thoughts with Madhu and email her your questions or comments at madhu.einsiedler.at and engage on her social media on LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram. Explore survival even more when you listen to our next episode.